Turn with me in your Bible to Acts chapter 19. And we are going to look at verse 1 this evening. Yes, one whole entire verse. And then also, if you will put your finger in Ephesians 1, uh, verse 15, and we're going to cross-reference over to Ephesians 1 uh, as well. So this section of Scripture introduces us to the city of Ephesus and the church of Ephesus. So we're going to take a little bit more time with that this evening. So would you join me in prayer? Father, you're an awesome God. As we sang tonight that you created everything, that you call the, the stars by name. We don't even know how many stars there are, how many galaxies. And Lord, you have created all of them. You have called them by name. Lord, you love us. You tell us that we're the hope of your calling, Jesus. And Lord, we see how you're working throughout the world. And God, would you just encourage us tonight of your movements, Lord, your, your mission and how you are touching hearts and changing lives. And pray you'd set me aside and give me grace and strength and teaching your word. And we love you and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. I got home uh, yesterday evening, and my time clock's a little mixed up because Uganda's nine hours ahead, so this is normally when I've been sleeping this last week, so if my thoughts are a little bit jumbled, don't worry, I haven't entered into the, the new pot laws with Colorado, I'm just a little low on sleep, but I'm, I think I should be fine. So let's look at verse one, let's read it together of Acts chapter 19, it says, and it happened while Apollos was at Corinth that Paul, having passed through the upper regions, came to Ephesus and finding some disciples. So what I really want to look at is kind of the mission of God at large and how that meant so much to early believers in the book of Acts, especially the Apostle Paul, and then also what that means in our church and how God has been giving us a vision and giving us a heart for our community and the world and to see that God's still working in that same way today. So let's look through this verse. First, it says, and it happened while Apollos was at Corinth. We ended with Paul's ministry to Corinth and the church of Corinth starting. Paul feels that he's now able to leave Corinth because Apollos is there to take care of the church. If you remember, Apollos was reached by Priscilla and Aquila. He only knew through John the Baptist. He didn't know Christ as his Messiah. So Priscilla and Aquila came and ministered to Apollos. Well, who ministered to Priscilla and Aquila? Paul. So now we see this value of discipleship and multiplication that results in ministry being able to be expanded. And Apollos now is to take the things that are in Corinth, and Paul's able to go on as he was a church planter. He would plant churches and be there for a while, then he'd move to another community and, and plant a church. And this is really how the kingdom of God expands, is through allowing someone to invest into your life, and then also investing into someone else's life. We call it discipleship. We're created for relationship. God in and of himself is a relationship, three distinct persons, but yet he's one, isn't he? And he wants us to allow people to invest into our lives. There's certain things that we won't get, that we won't grasp, unless we have a Paul in our life. We have a mentor in our life. We have someone that we allow to challenge and have a teachable spirit. But then he also wants us to be able to invest in others. And this happens just in a real organic way. 
and the relationships that God has provided in your life. If you have a family, that's the first and foremost that discipleship takes place. But the Lord may bring two or three people into your life that you invest in in a more purposeful and intentional way. And you're saying, well, what do I instruct them in? Well, first and foremost, how did Jesus get a hold of your life? What are the things that you found important in your relationship with the Lord? Then begin to instruct them in in those things. I think every Christian that's growing has a time with God in his word and a time in prayer. And so you want to help someone learn how to be able to do that. Maybe you had someone like that in your life. They kind of said, hey, well, let me show you how to be able to do a quiet time. Why don't you read the book of Mark and ask questions and see what you got out of it? And you want to teach people how to spend time with God, how to hear from God, how to follow Jesus Christ. We're not making disciples of ourselves, amen? We're making disciples of Jesus. And I think a lot of times in our culture, our American culture, we think ministry primarily happens in settings like this or over a radio, or over a podcast, or if someone reads a book, and someone listens to a message, and it definitely happens in that way, but the primary way is personal discipleship. The primary way is relationship, and then that expands, and that relationship goes into another relationship that goes into another relationship. So Paul's able to now go on, and he passed through the upper regions, and he came to Ephesus. Hopefully, as we've been studying the book of Acts, you've found a map. Uh, you can look at the back of your Bible. You probably have a map of Paul's missionary journeys. You can look right now. I think it'll help you as you put this together. Ephesus is modern-day Turkey, right on the Mediterranean Sea. It's Paul's second missionary journey. He's really traveling. He's really going out of his way to get to these unreached people. Paul could have gotten comfortable It was a great ministry at Corinth. There's plenty of lost people in Corinth. I'm sure there were some people who were saying, Paul, why would you leave Corinth? There's so much happening here. But Paul had a pattern of sacrifice, of trying to reach people that didn't know Christ as their Savior. And one of the things that happens with church is we tend to turn inward a lot of times, don't we? And we, we get to be this little microchasm where we're only concerned with our own needs. And we are to build one and up, each other up as the body of Christ, but we forget that there's people that are going to hell, don't we? And we lose the motivation to go outside of our comfort zone and to go to an Ephesus, if you will, to reach people for Jesus Christ. And that's where, in a few minutes, I'm going to talk about some of our Ephesus as a church, as we're reaching out with the love of Jesus Christ. But I want you to see in the Apostle Paul that he caught the missional heart of God. And maybe you've heard that, that God is a missional God, and you're like, I don't understand what that means, is that God has a heart to see people reached. He doesn't want any to perish. He gave his only begotten son that whoever believes will have eternal life. So what's on the heart and the mind of God tonight? It's the people that don't know Christ as their savior, no matter where they live, throughout the whole world. And he desires for all people group to be with him, to be at his throne room. And part of being a believer is caring for the lost and also caring for the lost of the world, to to get a heart for all people groups. 
whether you have the opportunity to go to those mission fields or not, to pray for them, to long to see them, to come to know Christ as their Savior. And in this short little verse, we find that in the Apostle Paul. He's going through the upper regions of Turkey, and he comes to Ephesus. Another reason I wanted to pause with this study tonight is because the book of Ephesians is the church of Ephesus. In chapter 19, we have the beginnings of the church of Ephesus. Probably you've studied the epistle that we call Ephesians, and I think if you don't have some background on the city of Ephesus, you don't get the fullest meaning. So I want to just give you a brief little history lesson about the city of Ephesus. One is location, 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 okay? Had a great location. You can't beat the Mediterranean Sea. A lot of wonderful land and beaches, but also the economy was great. The fish were there. All the sailors would come. So it was a very large city in the ancient world. It was also a Roman colony. As you know, Rome was going throughout the region and conquering the world. So at this time, it was a Roman city. What's fascinating about this ancient city of Ephesus is it's one of the largest archaeological digs in the world. You can go to Ephesus today, and they're digging it up piece by piece, and they're putting this city back together. So we know what this city was like. It had one of the largest libraries in the ancient world. It was a very intellectual culture where they longed for more and more knowledge. Also, the Temple of Diana was there. Next week, we'll see more of her influence upon this city. But there was great idolatry in this city. They, they worshipped false gods, and the chief was Diana. It was one of the wonders of the world. It was so magnificent. Also, we know from this city, from the archaeological digs, as soon as you got off of the port and you started walking on the main road, there would be all of these symbols to where the local prostitutes were. And with it being a sailor community, it was just out of this world, the kind of sexual sin that was taking place. I believe that Ephesus is much like the cities of the world today. It's much like the cities in, in Colorado, where we see there's a lot of intellectualism. There's more information, more learning than any other time before. Idolatry is doing better than it's ever done before. Agreed? And sexual sin is just exploding. Talk about multiplication. And we can tend to shrink back. We can tend to think, well, I'm just one guy. I'm just one gal. What, what could I do? I can't do anything, but God can do great things. And when Paul came into cities like this, he saw potential for many people to come into the kingdom. It stirred his heart, and he began to pray, and he longed for these people to come into to the, the kingdom of God. So we don't just get our little holy huddle together and go, you know, us seven and no more. You know, I don't, no, we don't get that attitude at all. We should be out in our community we should be out in our world. We should be seeing what's going on and, and what's taking place and, and having a heart for the Ephesus. And so Paul came into this city Ephesus and then finding some disciples. And then we'll study the rest of this next week. Now I would like for you to turn over to Ephesians chapter 1 and see the heart that Paul had for this church of Ephesus that would be birthed up. Ephesians 1, 15 through 23. This is his prayer 
for this city. It's one of my favorite sections of scripture, favorite passages. I got to teach at Calvary Chapel Gulu on Sunday, which was a trip, and they have two services. The first is at 9, so I did Psalms 23 at 9, and then everybody at the 9 o'clock service stayed for the 11 o'clock service, plus a few more people came, and I thought, if I don't change messages, then these poor people are going to hear the same message twice, identical, and so the Lord just put on my heart to teach this section of scripture, and it went perfect with tonight because we're beginning to study the, the church of Ephesus. So this is Paul now writing back to this church that God allowed him to plant. And you can imagine the kind of love that Paul had for, for this church. It's a fatherly kind of, of love as he's invested and poured his life into this church and he's writing back to them and he says this, therefore, I also have to, I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all of the saints. Paul's saying, I've heard of your faith and your love for all the saints. He encourages them in their faith and in their love. And tonight, I want to try to tell you a little bit of what God is doing in Gulu, what he's doing in the partnership with the church there, Calvary Chapel, Gulu. And there's many stories to be told in our church, as, as our church hopefully has this heart to go out to to the world. Hopefully you know the story of Calvary Chapel Chihuahua and how God has birthed that church. That was an Ephesus that we had a heart to go to. And praise the Lord, that church is is doing well. You know, Calvary Chapel Greeley years ago was a church plant out of here. Calvary Chapel Castle Rock, Mountain View Calvary in Pueblo. There's a lot of stories of kind of our Ephesus. But I want to tell you about Gulu because I believe it's, it's the fresh current work that God is leading us to. And for me, I was able to really experience it because over the last few years, I really heard of the faith at this church, Calvary Chapel, Gulu, but now I was able to to see it. And how this story began for us was in 2007, there was a documentary that came out called Invisible Children. And when I talk about God being a missional God and having a heart uh, for every people group in the world, that was a process for me to learn that about God. Because if you knew me earlier on uh, in my life, in 2000 to 2007, I'd go, I know God's a missional God, and I know he has a, a heart for the world, but I've got a heart for the lost in the United States, and I'm not really too concerned with anything outside of that, and I'm thankful for people that, that do missions and all that kind of stuff, but I politely said, I don't want to hear it. You know when you have those little nice Christian answers, and you bring up that real self-righteous defense, but what you're really saying is, I'm a moron, and I don't want to hear it, and that's what I was saying, is I'm a moron, and, and I don't uh, want to hear it, you know, and, and Sean, who is a good friend and a missions pastor at the time, and who's coming back on, on staff and planted Calvary Chapel Chihuahua, he was always saying, man, you need to expand your horizons, and I'm like, no thanks, and all those kind of things, and then I watched this little video documentary about the kids in Gulu, Uganda, and they were having to go from the villages out in the bush and walk into Gulu and sleep every night uh, wherever they could on the streets, uh, in the basement of, of this hospital, 
because Coney, this guy, was coming and he was abducting the kids and forcing them to be child soldiers. And the first thing that he would make these kids do, and we're talking seven, eight years old, and when he abducted them is to shoot their parents. And once you've been over there and you've been out into the bush, those people are defenseless. I mean, they're, they're simple people loving their families, trying to get by. There's no way that they could stand up to soldiers that were, were coming again against them. And these little children are being put in, into this place. And my heart just began to break. It began to break. And I think that that's hard for us sometimes as Americans because we don't really stop and think about what it's like for people in other parts of the world and the things that, that they're going through and the suffering that's happening in their life. And then I began to have dreams about the people in Gulu and I could really feel the pain that they were going through. And God was doing a unique work in my heart and my life. And then a few weeks later, a guy named Peter Hadiamana comes walking in the front door of Rocky Mountain Calvary. Guess where he's from? He's from Uganda. He's Ugandan. Now, you can look around. There's not too many people that come into our church that are from Uganda. You know, it's, it's pretty rare and pretty unique. And he was a kid that grew up in a Compassion International project and was, was supported through that. And then he came to the United States to work for Compassion. And Peter, with this million-dollar smile, saying, Pastor, you need to come with me to Uganda. Now, me, I'm not a missions guy. That, that's why we have a missions pastor. So... I don't have to do that stuff, right? And normally, I would, again, find a reason why I didn't need to go to, to the mission field, but I knew that God was, was doing something. And so that was my first trip over to Africa, and it's been a slow process of, God, what is this all, all leading to? And through future trips, we realized, God, you're really wanting us to strengthen pastors, because the pastors need mentorship, the pastors need to learn how to teach the Bible verse by verse. And so Kent's been going over now for five years and has been ministering to pastors. And as you think about Gulu, I, it's hard, but I want to try to paint just a visual picture. As you land in Kampala, and Kampala is doing fairly well. It's still a third world country and a third world city. But then you start driving up to go to Gulu, and you get about halfway up through Uganda. It's a 200-mile drive, and it takes eight to nine hours, eight to nine hours to, to go up there. And then it's a little two-lane road, but the sides are all eroded away. And there's lots of people walking on the side of the road and riding their bikes. And then you just have this little bit of pavement. I mean, from about here to here of pavement in the center of the road, but tons of traffic and big semi-trucks and lots of potholes. So you literally have traffic going like this, and it's like, who's going to go around? You know, like, and a lot of people die on this particular road. Then when you get up to Gulu, there's absolutely nothing. There's just dirt roads, but there's tons and tons of people. When Steve and Gail are there, you know, think about them going to the grocery store that's about as big as this section, and most of the shelves are empty. And you go to buy some meat, and you know what the meat is? It's on the side of a dirty road where they slaughtered the cow in the morning, and it's out in that hot humidity. Anybody like a steak? Anybody want a steak, you know? It's very, very much a, a very difficult place uh, to be able to live, but I've got to tell you, the believers are awesome. 
And being there at Calvary Chapel Gulu, just like Paul says here, I heard of their faith and love as I want you to hear of their faith and to hear of their love. When they worship, they really worship. There's, there's none of this like coming in like, I don't know if I like this song. This one's a little too loud. That, that instrument, I don't, I don't really like that instrument. I think I'm going to find a new church. Holy cow, you know. They actually come in and they want to do business with God. And they're pretty quiet people, soft-spoken people, but you wouldn't know when they worship. And there came a time in this service where they were doing a, a mellower song because they like to get excited and dance unto the Lord. And these young children, elementary age kids, were on their knees lifting their hands to God, just crying out to God. See, we may know more of the Bible, we may know our theology better, but they have a faith that we don't have because they're really dependent upon God for their daily needs and their, their daily provision. And the thing that I want you to see is they have a love for our church. You know, I wish that you could all go or they could all come here, but they've really been appreciative of the missions teams that have gone over there. And I think what touched my heart the most, and it, it just it makes me emotional, is we taught this group of pastors about 20 to 30 through the book of Titus, myself and Bob and, and Kent. And I did chapter two, we we're sitting in a circle and going through it and one of the things that came up was to be the husband of one wife, and they practiced polygamy there, and so we had a good, healthy discussion on that, and pretty mind-blowing to, to talk through. But I got done with chapter two, and this lady comes in, one of the ladies from the church, and says something to one of the pastors, and then he says, they've made you tea, and you need to go drink it. And I'm like, okay, they, they made me some tea, uh, I need to go drink it. And I'll be honest, in the back of my mind, I'm thinking, I don't want a parasite, I don't want a worm, I don't want typhoid. Who knows all the things that are, I mean, half of you are afraid that I'm going to give you Ebola, you know, because I came back from Africa. No, I was in East Africa, that happened in West Africa, you know, but your, your mind starts thinking that, like, diarrhea on an international flight, no thank you, right? I don't want to, don't want to be having Hershey squirts all the way back to, to America, and I follow them out there, and I go to their kitchen, which is outdoor. It's an outdoor kitchen. And their stove is a campfire. And these women are the heroes of, of the society. They carry water on their head and will walk for miles to, to get water. They, they chop firewood. And so here they've been working all day long, and they're preparing lunch for, for all the guys. And they've made this tea on the campfire, and they insist that I sit down. So they get this white plastic chair to sit down and they serve me tea as I'm sitting there in, in the kitchen. And I'm so humbled. I was like, I don't deserve this kind of gift. We have a hard time giving out of our abundance. If we've got stuff left over, we're still like, I don't want to give that away. I don't want to have that go to the work of the Lord. What if I need that later on? It's difficult for us to even give out of our abundance. But they were giving out of their poverty, out of their absolute poverty, and it, over, it overwhelmed me. And that evening, they invited us to Pastor Fred's home. He's got eight children, and they said, come to, to our homes. And they were grass huts, you know, 
That, that's their roof. It's the mud huts with, with grass roofs. And here we are with his eight kids, surrounded by hundreds of other huts. So here comes some white guys into the neighborhood, and all the little kids from the neighborhood are just like staring at us, right? So we sit down, and they make us dinner, again, out of their poverty. I was so touched, and I was so humbled, and I want for us to be able to connect with them, because it's a partner church, and a lot of times, I think when it comes to missions, because of our American mentality, we go, well, we're going there, and we're going to help them, and that's nice, and that's good, and Hopefully God can use them in our lives. But you know what? I think they're going to help us even more so than we're going to help them. See, and that's the beauty of missions. That's the beauty of outreach. You step out to go to your Ephesus. You know, you step out to really love and serve your family or reach your neighbor for Christ. And you get over yourself. And God works in us when we die to ourselves then that person that God's allowing us to serve, they touch our hearts and our lives in a unique way. So we hear of their faith in Calvary Chapel Gulu. We, we hear of their love in Calvary Chapel Gulu. And they welcomed Steve and Gail into their community. I want you to pray for Steve and Gail. They're really stepping into a difficult mission field. Pray for all of our missionaries. Get, a, get to know them. Go, go get the cards on the missions wall and say, you know, here's two or three you know, a missionaries love to hear from you. A lot of times when they get out on the field, their friends get busy, they, they don't hear from people very often. You don't even have to know them. Send them an email and say, you know, I, I picked up your card, I'm praying for you. And then if you really want to bless them, ask them if there's some things from the States that they would like to have. And they might go, hey, we can't get Snickers bars here. Would you please send me a Snickers bar? Send them a case of Snicker bars, you know, and just, just go for it and bless them, but love them. There has to be supporters on the other end. And, and so Paul's communicating this to the, to the church of Ephesus. And then he writes some things that he's praying for the church of Ephesus that I think is a wonderful thing to pray for one another, wonderful to pray for, for Gulu and Chihuahua and the different places that God has us invested in verse 16 do not cease to give thanks for your making mention of you in my prayers. So he says, I'm thankful for you, and I don't cease to mention to pray for you. Paul believed in the power of prayer. In all of his letters, he mentions that he's praying for these churches. Do we believe in the power of prayer? Do we believe that God hears and he answers this prayer? What are the things that Paul's praying for? Verse 17 that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of him. So this is something that God does. The, the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, that he may give you something. He may grant you something that you don't have. This is what Paul wanted the church of Ephesus to have. This is what we desire in our lives and in Calvary Chapel Gulu. The first is the spirit of wisdom. Now, wisdom is not just knowledge. Wisdom is applying the knowledge, putting it into practice. We all have the idiot lights on our cars, right? The gas light that goes on. The reason they call it an idiot light is because if you ignore it, 
It's not the smartest thing to do in the world. I've been there several times. Yes, I've run out of gas several times and I've ignored that light. See, wisdom is to take that information and to apply it and put it into to practice. Sometimes we get filled so much with the knowledge of the scriptures in our head that we think that knowing it intellectually is enough. No, God wants to give us the spirit of wisdom where we take the things that we know and we put it into practice. That's wisdom. And the next thing that he prays is the knowledge of him, the knowledge of him. And this is what we desire. This is what our church is about. And I hope you hear this. Our church is not about being a social club. Our church is, is not about programs. Our church is about one thing first and foremost, and it's that we would have the personal and the intimate knowledge of Jesus Christ. We're not first and foremost preaching how to have a better marriage. We're not preaching how to get your finances straight. We're not preaching how to be a good parent. We're preaching Jesus Christ because Jesus is the one that we need and Jesus is the one that we need to get to know. It's Jesus, an ever-increasing personal knowledge of him. Up until this week, I knew about Pastor Fred and Gulu, but I didn't have knowledge of him. This word in the Greek, it's epinosis. It's the kind of knowledge that a husband and wife have of each other. But now I've been in his home. I've spent time with him. We've prayed together. We've studied the word together. You can be around the things of God, but not know God in this way. And then sometimes we can lose sight of this as believers. We're the child of God, but we're no longer growing in the knowledge of him. If there's one thing that you want to pray for RMC, to, to pray for Calvary Chapel Chihuahua, Calvary Chapel Gulu, the, the church in Czech Republic that Milan and Zita are leading. Pray for the intimate knowledge of Jesus Christ. This is what we were created for, to be in relationship with him. Everything forms out of this. Biblical manhood, it doesn't come out of having these pep talks of how to be a man of God. It comes out of being relationship with God. It flows out of that. Biblical womanhood, it flows out of being in relationship with God, that epinosis of the Lord. We long for that in our lives. We, we pray for that in our lives. <clears throat> Verse 18, the eyes of your understanding being enlightened. So to see something that they hadn't seen before, that you would know what is the hope of his calling, what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints. Let's really think about this for a moment. Paul's saying he wants the church of Ephesus to know the hope of his calling. What are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the states? Who's Paul talking about? He's talking about Jesus. What is the hope of Christ's calling? What was he looking forward to? What was the joy that was set before him? It goes on to say his inheritance in the saints. Were Christ's joy? We're the bride of Christ. And he was looking forward to the day of inheriting us. We're his inheritance. And I've got to tell you, this is something that I don't grasp, that I don't fully understand. And I know the scriptures. I know verses that talk about God singing over us, rejoicing over us, delighting in his people, his love for us, but then I know me, and I know all of my struggles, and I know all of the grossness that's inside of my heart, and I can't imagine that God's well-pleased with me. 
I can't imagine that I'm the inheritance of God. And how we see ourselves and how God sees us is that he's pleased with us. That we're something that he desires to inherit. That he can't wait to spend eternity with us. And we get stuck and we get hung up on all this duty and rules and and regulation. We are like, God, I'm failing. And we fail to see his immense love for us. What Paul's really praying is that the church's eyes would be opened to see how much Jesus values the church. To see how much Jesus loves you. That he's singing over you. That he's dancing over you. That he rejoices over you. You know, I think the closest thing that we can come to understand this in a human level does come in a marriage relationship and also a relationship with kids. You don't get married to then have this contract of these rules and regulations saying, I hope you keep up your end of the bargain. You know, you agreed to do the vacuuming and you agreed to do the laundry and this, well, you agreed to pay this amount of bills and you agreed to pay that amount of bills that's not a good marriage anyway. You get married because you enjoy each other. You love each other. You want to spend the rest of your life together. Is there works involved? Absolutely. But it's birthed out of relationship. And with your kids, it's the same way, isn't it? It's this love that you have for them, this love that they, they have for you. It overwhelms your heart. And sometimes you know it as a parent and you try to communicate it to your kids. Man, I hope they know that I love them. I hope they know how much they, they mean to me, but you, you struggle to find the words to, to be able to communicate it. I had one of those moments with, with one of my kids earlier in the summer. Eileen, she's four, and we were riding bikes on the Santa Fe Trail. And her and Wyatt were in the trailer uh, behind me. I was pulling him on my bike, those, those bike trailers. And she's very expressive and articulate. She's like, Dad, it's just such a, a beautiful night. It's so beautiful. Look at what all God's made for us. He loves us. He loves us, Dad. And then she's all, you know what, Dad? He even loves people that drink soda. (laughs) (laughs) I was just busting up laughing. I'm like, man, I just just enjoy her. I'm so thankful for her. And, And that's what God is saying. And maybe that's exactly what you need to hear tonight, is God actually enjoys you. God actually delights in you. He created you just the way he wants you to be, corks and all. And he longs to spend time with you. And you're his inheritance of all of his creation. He made you. He died for you. He rose again. And collectively, the church as a whole, the church of Ephesus, the believers in Uganda, the believers in India, the believers in Ethiopia, we flew on Ethiopian air to to get over there and I was walking in an aisle and there was an Ethiopian man that was reading the Bible on his phone. He was reading 1 John 4. I was like, how cool is that? There's a bro in Christ. There's the inheritance of of Jesus and the saints and we're going to spend all of eternity together. All people groups, they're the ones that the Lord loves. It's his, his bride. The next few things, in verse 19, and what is the exceeding greatness of his power toward us who believe according to the working of his mighty power. Paul prayed that the church of Ephesus would know the greatness of his power. The greatness of his power toward you in our lives. The working of his mighty power. 
the Christian life's wonderful, but it's also frustrating because a lot of times we're not very good at it, aren't we? We go, God, I'm really trying. I'm really, I really want to grow, but I keep stumbling in the same ways. It's not our power. We can't rely on our own power. It's being poor in spirit. It's being humble before God. God, would you work through your mighty power? Why are we anticipating for God to do a great work in northern Uganda? It's not because of us. It's way beyond us. It's way beyond Stephen Gale. It's way beyond Kent and Rebecca planning to go next summer. It's way beyond Calvary Chapel Gulu. But it's not way beyond God. Why are we expectant going into the summer for our community, Colorado Springs, that God would seek and save the lost because of his power, his power? If we could just get a glimpse of the power of God, many times the power of God comes into our lives as we step out in obedience to the Lord. We say, okay, God, this is what you said in your word. I want to align my life up with your word. I'm going to step out in obedience and then God's power comes into our lives. There's something very attractive about knowing his power. In verse 20, which he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places. The triumph of God's power is seen in the resurrection of Jesus. The resurrection of Christ. He rose from the dead He's seated upon his throne. The throne of God is not affected by the movements of men. The same power that raised Jesus from the grave lives in you, Romans 8 tells us. We look at the empty tomb of Christ and we see the power of God which is appropriated in our lives. In verse 21, far above all principality and power, might and dominion, and every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the age to come. The power of God is above every demonic realm, far above all principalities, all power, all might, dominion. Every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the age to come. We need to be in prayer as a church, as we step out to reach out into our community, to reach out in Uganda, to continue to reach out in Chihuahua and the different places that the Lord has us because we are marching into the enemy's territory. Uganda is just south of Sudan. Gulu is 60 miles from the border of Sudan. If you know the story of Sudan, northern Sudan is radically Islamic. And they're going into southern Sudan and they're killing Christians to where in southern Sudan, the people are fleeing to go into refugee camps. Southern Sudan and northern Uganda are the same tribe. They're the same tribe. They speak the same language. They're the same people group. They're the Acholi tribe. In Africa, they have their tribes, and they have their distinct languages. There's over 50 different languages and tribes just in Uganda alone, which Uganda is the size of Colorado if you're taking land. 30 million people in the size of Colorado or the size of, of Wyoming. And so there's a real spiritual battle that's taking place. Uganda is that front line where Islam and Christianity come to a, a clash right there. We don't want to take that for granted. We want to be in prayer, but we don't have to be fearful as well. Because Christ is risen, and he's far above all principalities, might, and dominion in every name. It was so cool to be able to take Stephen Gale 
and see them be settled in their first week over there. I've never had that experience of doing that. We got to help take their stuff. We took 12 totes. Imagine taking your life and reducing it down to 12 totes. Gail did bring a coffee maker. I was proud of her. She's got priorities. And we were looking for a home and trying to figure out how to get them a cell phone and getting these things set up. And we had a few contacts, but not very many outside of Calvary Chapel Gulu. And it seemed like every time we sat down for a meal, we ran into some missionaries. Isn't that cool? We ran into three different sets of missionaries that had been doing work there for quite a while. And they had the inside track on how to be able to survive there and offered friendship to, to Steve and Gail. We were able to stop at a, a, a mission there called New Hope Uganda, the dangers. Uh, it's a husband and wife couple. They started it in the 80s when Uganda was war-torn. And this is, this is far out. This is crazy. True story. They're sitting telling us when they went to Uganda, they had an 18-month-old son, and all they had is a little motorcycle that they call Boda Bodas over there. So they've got her and her husband and their little boy on this motorcycle. People are dying. War is happening. It's a civil war. They're, they're killing each other. You had to drive to Kenya to get groceries. It's a long ways from where they were at. And then many times you couldn't even get gasoline. They would go two to three months of getting a little bit of gas here, a little bit of gas there, just to be able to get gasoline. Their kids have stories of having to get under their beds because gunfire is, is happening and bombs are, are going off. Today, they have over 250 acres that's an orphanage to, to babies, to children, to special needs. They have a pastoral training. I mean, you go there and you go, this place is a place of, of peace. It wasn't in 1982. <laughs> they went into a dark land and God did a great victory. And maybe in your life you go, you know, there's this person that lives on my street and they're really dark and they're kind of scary. And I don't know if I want to go, go talk to them. Or this family member, you know, it's... They're into this, they're into that. Every name, every principality is underneath the foot of Jesus. And we'll end tonight with verse 22 and 23. And he put all things under his feet and gave him to be head over all things to the church. All things are under the feet of Jesus. Every struggle, every difficulty, every storm. When Jesus came to the disciples on the Sea of Galilee, what was he doing? He was walking on the water. The water was stormy. The water was rocking the lives of the disciples, but yet it was under the feet of Jesus. It's so unnerving so many times in our lives and we go, this is more than I can handle, God. I don't have answers for this. This is difficult. I feel like giving up. We've got to keep our eyes on Jesus. It's all underneath his feet. And this is the best part. And him to be head over all things to the church. Jesus is the head of the church. The head is the brain. The body takes orders from the brain. No pastor, no group of elders are the head. Jesus is the head of his church. He has supremacy. He's the one we worship. He's the one that we follow. Let's give him his proper place. In verse 23, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. So what's the agent that God wants to work in this time? His body, the body of Christ. And that goes back to Acts 19 verse 1, that Paul went to Ephesus. He goes, you know what? The needs are being covered here in Corinth. 
So I'm going to Ephesus. There's a lot of lost people that are in Ephesus, and I believe that God can do a great work. Now, here's the point tonight. So maybe you've checked out and you've gone, this is another missions talk. I don't need a missions talk. I'm not going to Uganda or any other country. And look out, you never know. You never know. It's not just that. I'm hoping that you're catching the missional heart of God for people that are going to hell. And saying, you know what, God, I want to be a part of your plan. Right here where I live, wherever you may call me, God, I want to have a heart for the world. Because the important thing is, is everybody playing their part inside of the body of Christ. And as you look at the human body, it's multifaceted, many different parts. Not everybody's an Apostle Paul. Not everybody's a pastor teacher. Not everybody's an evangelist. That's by God's design. But for a healthy body to exist, it's for everybody to listen to the voice of the shepherd, to Jesus, and say, Jesus, what would you have me to do? Maybe you love to sing, but you can't sing on key. The worship team's probably not the place for you, right? That's okay. That's all right. You may be really good at the gift of mercy. And when people are going through things, your heart goes out to them, and you long to pray with them and sit with them and comfort them, you know what? That's an amazing gift, and you do it under the Lord. You know, some of you are awesome at cooking. And when you cook, you bring smiles to people's faces. People start opening up and telling you their life story. Some of you are not so good at cooking. That's okay. Take them to Chipotle. They'll open up at Chipotle too. But find your gift. Find when you're good at. One of my favorite quotes is Chariots of Fire, if you've ever seen the movie. It's the the life story of uh, what became a missionary, but his life started by saying that he wouldn't run on the Sabbath. He, he was going to set that aside to the Lord, just a conviction that he had, and he made it to the Olympics, but he wouldn't run on the Sabbath, so he had to change races. And there's this one point in the movie where his sister asks him, and it's based on a true story, saying, why are you even in the Olympics? Why are you even running? Why haven't you gone to, to the mission field? And he said, because when I run, I feel God's pleasure. When I run, I feel God's pleasure. You were designed for something. You were full on made for something. And when you do it, you feel God's pleasure. And it's great. And you find that spot and you go for it. You say, you know what? When I'm just helping people and I'm fixing stuff, I feel God's pleasure. When I use this talent, when this gift that God gave to me, I feel God's pleasure. Then you do it, and you do it under the Lord. Whether anybody sees it, whether they know it, or you recognize it. But the important part is, is to say, God, I don't want to miss it. I don't want to miss it. I want to walk through the open doors that God has for me. So a simple message tonight. One is to show vision, show what God's doing, and Gulu, how we're partnering with that church to stir us to prayer. But even more importantly, seeing the missional heart of God, see the Ephesus, see the Ephesus that God has for you, and go through that open door and watch what God does. Amen?